Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called The Way of Jesus, a study in the Gospel of Mark. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. On Sunday, January 14th, 2018, my Minnesota Vikings, that's right, the same Vikings that just beat many of your Chicago Bears last week, found themselves in an impossible situation. They had just gone down by a point. There was only 10 seconds left for them to try to win the game. They were on their own 30-yard line. Impossibility until this happened. Listen, if this doesn't give you chills, I don't know go. what will. 24-23 Saints. Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. Three receivers right, feel and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God, oh my God, oh my God. 30, touchdown. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle. Stephon Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings have walked up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Amen. I know you're back there, right there. My one other Viking fan here. We can't show uh, the actual play because of copyright reasons, but here's a GIF of the play if you'd like to see it. All right. You're dismissed, right? (laughs) Now, what do we mean when we say something is impossible? Well, let me get a a definition on the notes here pretty early because this is what we're going to be talking about together today. If you're following on your notes with me, to taste something is impossible means it is hopeless from a human ability to resolve. It's hopeless from a human ability to resolve. In other words, outside of ourselves, we have no hope in this situation. Now, maybe that wasn't an impossible situation. It might have just been bad defense. But we've all been in impossible situations before. And in the story that we're going to be looking at together today as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus, Jesus' disciples are going to get a lesson on what is and what is not possible with God. And this story right here is going to impact their ministry for the rest of their lives. And my hope is that it might do the same for you and for me today whenever we are facing impossible situations. So if you haven't already, let me invite you to take your Bible, if you brought it with you, I hope you do, and turn it to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And if you don't have your own Bible, we always have some available in the seat underneath you there, and you can find this on page 817 of those black Bibles. It'll also be up on the screen. Now, the story we're looking at today is one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Uh, It is loved by kids. It is loved by adults. And interestingly, it is the only miracle story recorded by all four gospel writers in Scripture. It is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, some of you regular attenders will recognize Jeff just taught on this two months ago. So why are we doing it again? Well, I always view the Bible like this multifaceted gem right? There's always more to see. You just need to turn it a little bit, and there's more for us to discover. And my hope is we might discover something more beautiful as we did two months ago today as well. Now, just a little bit of context as you're turning there. I just want to point out that Mark places this story here by no coincidence. He's using irony here. If you were here last week, 
Brian did an awesome job, you gotta listen to the message, talking about the story of Herod's banquet where he beheads John the Baptist. Mark places this story right after that banquet because it's a banquet of another kind. It's not a banquet where all the rich and the elite come. It's a banquet where anybody can come who wants to meet Jesus. And so let's walk through this text together, starting in verse 30. If you're ready, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, pause here. Brian talked about this last week, right? We've been using this phrase in the Gospel of Mark. He loves to use what he calls sandwiches. You've got one thing happen. And then there's this weird thing in the middle that has nothing to do with the one thing, although it does a lot to do with the thing in the middle if we pay attention. And then he finishes it with the other piece of bread. And this is the finish. This is the other piece of bread. Jesus had sent his disciples out to go and minister. Then we have this story about the cost of discipleship and how John had to pay a heavy cost for following Jesus. And now they return and they report everything that they had done in the authority of Jesus. And let's look at what Jesus does with them in verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, I'm gonna come back to this at the end. It's super important, but I just wanna point out something right now that we have to begin to apply to our lives if we haven't already. I want you to notice, if you're falling on your notes, that Jesus invites his disciples to rest with him. The disciples just did a bunch of amazing things, right? They healed through the power and authority of Jesus. They saw people come to faith through the authority of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says to them after all that excitement, come away with me and get some solitude with me. This is the same rhythm of Jesus' life we see in the Gospels. He goes and does ministry and work, but he always comes back to the Father. He always finds himself needing that rest and that solitude with him. Like I said, we'll come back, but in verse 33, we see that solitude with Jesus they can't have. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. How many of you are parents of young children? You can understand this right here, right? I'm gonna go away to get some quiet alone time. Oh, no, you're not. You've learned the trick of the bathroom, I'm sure, by now, though, right? Lock the bathroom door. Mommy's busy. Let's read verse 34 out loud now on our notes. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So even though the crowd interrupts Jesus and the disciples' much-needed time of rest, Jesus sees this crowd, and it says he has compassion on them. This is one of the greatest Greek words. The New Testament is written in Greek. It's the word spanglithiai, compassion. And do you know it's only used of Jesus in the New Testament? It comes from the word for stomach or intestines. We might say from the gut. It has this meaning of Jesus felt something deep in his gut. Now, the best definition I can give to you if you're on your notes is compassion is tender mercy or empathy. 
Now, empathy is different than sympathy, and I swear I wrote this before our speaker came on Friday night, if you were here for that. But empathy is different from sympathy. Sympathy is saying, like, I feel really bad for you. I feel pity for you. Empathy is actually standing in that person's shoes with them. I understand, and you really do understand what they're going through. You share their feelings. And we're told that Jesus shares these people's feelings in his gut. He sees sheep without a shepherd, and he's moved to tender mercy for them. He understands them. And I'll just pause here and say, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, and you're here this morning, if you cannot imagine that Jesus has tender mercy for you, you do not understand who the real Jesus is. Jesus understands and knows you and sees you because he has suffered with us. He has gone through what we have gone through. Hebrews 4, 15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to, what? Empathize. He doesn't just sympathize with us. He empathizes with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. He's been in your shoes. He's been in my shoes. He doesn't just feel pity for you. He knows what it is to suffer. He is with you in whatever you're going through. Have you seen those new ads on TV about Jesus? It says, he gets us. That's it. It's right. That's what this means. He gets us. And why is he feeling compassionate for these people here? Well, we're told they are sheep without a shepherd. This is an indictment against the religious leaders of that day. The religious leaders were supposed to be the shepherds of the people of Israel. They were to gather them, to care for them. Instead, they're pushing them away. They're making themselves elite. And Jesus sees this and has compassion on them. So as the good shepherd, he takes action and begins to teach them. And now we come to the heart of this story. Let's pick it up in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. If you're following on your notes, notice, as Jesus meets their spiritual needs, he's been teaching them, their physical needs arise. And listen, while man does not live by bread alone, I like me some bread. I need me some bread, right? I have to have food in order to survive. And thankfully, the disciples have a great idea. Send them away so they can get some food. Then they can come back. You can get the rest that you needed, and you can start teaching again. This is practical, right? This is how I would view it. But Jesus has other plans for them. This is my favorite verse in this text. In verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. Mm. Come again? What'd you just say? I'm a parent of two teenagers right now. Mumbling is a thing. And I'm like, what? Come again? And I'm imagining this is exactly how the disciples are responding right now. Like, huh? You didn't just say that, right? How how could we possibly come up with the amount of food that is necessary to feed all these people? Now, according to John's account of this story, he said this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. If you're following on your notes, he tells them to do the impossible from a human point of view. And he's doing this to test them. 
Now look at the rest of verse 37. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now don't misunderstand that. That's not a legitimate question. They're being very sarcastic with Jesus right there, right? They're essentially saying, you don't really expect us to go spend our meager fishermen's wages to try to feed all these people. You're kind of crazy, Jesus. I just want to pause here, right? The disciples had just got back from doing the impossible. They had just healed people of diseases. They had just cast out demons. They had just preached the gospel and seen people come to faith and repentance. And not one of them has the idea to go to Jesus and say to him, this is impossible for us, but we know, we've just experienced, this is possible for you. Like that would have been pretty smart for Peter or Andrew or John to go to him and say, you're kidding, except I know you. And I know what you can do. I've experienced what you can do. Instead, they get stuck as we often do on what they can see and only what they can see. And they respond by pointing out all the problems with Jesus' plan. But Jesus is testing them. Does he do that with us when it comes to our faith? Yes, he does. And he wants to teach them a lesson about perspective and how we view the world. Ever compassionate, though, even with the disciples who should know better by now, Jesus responds to their sarcasm in verse 38. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. I like this. Jesus gets practical. He says to them, tell me what resources you do have available for me. We're told in John's gospel that these five loaves of bread, which were little pita things, and these two fish Think sardines more than fish. Came from a little boy's lunch. It probably looked something uh, like this, right? That's it. We're talking 10 to 12,000 people. And like, here are all of the resources we have. Jesus, here you go. This is pathetic compared to what we're going to need. And if you're falling on your notes, notice the disciples complain about their lack. But Jesus focuses on what they do possess. Let that one sink in for a minute. What do you focus on? I love in John, Andrew points out the fact of their lack, right? Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many people? What's our definition of impossible? Hopeless from any human ability to resolve. This situation fits, yeah? Andrew understands it, but again, that's all they can see, all they can see. What they don't see and what they can't see and don't understand is that all things are possible with Jesus. Again, if you're following, Jesus sees possibilities where his disciples see only impossibilities. It's all about perspective and how we view life. Verse 39 shares this basically. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. I love to picture Jesus here with this little twinkle in his eye. That you guys are about to see something that you have no idea, right? He wants to prepare them. And he sends the disciples out. He says, he gets organized. And to their credit, they actually obey him, right? They're like, 
this is ridiculous, fine, we'll get them into groups. And then he gives them these baskets and they wait for Jesus to act. And act he does. After giving thanks to the Father for the provision, probably with the common Jewish table prayer, maybe you've heard this, praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. He breaks these pieces of bread into pieces. He takes the two fish and does the same. So far, nothing surprising, but from those meager provisions, we're told that the disciples have enough food to indeed do what Jesus asked them to do in verse 37, to give them something to eat. The result, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand means probably about 10 to 12,000 people total now we don't know how long it took them to distribute this but I just I've seen a play before kind of reenact this can you just imagine as one of the disciples you're sent out to these groups with this tiny basket of stuff and you're just like this is going to be a disaster and then you start giving them bread you start giving them fish you're like like what 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 is happening How is there more and more? This is impossible. But in the end, everybody's hunger is satisfied, including all of the teenagers, which is a secondary miracle, right? The disciples even have enough. Notice they carry back how many baskets? Twelve for themselves so that they too may eat and be satisfied. Now his object lesson, surely, would not be lost on the disciples, right? If you're following on your notes, when the disciples see no way, Jesus will provide a way. Surely they will never doubt him again. Come back next week. But one day, friends, years later, when Jesus had gone to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, when he had given his Holy Spirit this lesson would be applied to the disciples' lives again and again and again. When we see impossibility, Jesus can provide possibility. And so listen, as we do every week here, I don't wanna just talk about the Bible. I don't want you just to learn about the Bible. We wanna learn how to apply the word of God to our everyday lives. So let me offer you three lessons that I think this text can apply to us today especially when it comes to learning to live the way of Jesus. There are people who say, I believe in Jesus, and then there are people who say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I wanna learn the way of Jesus. If that's you, then this is an important text for us about discipleship. The first question this text asks us is way back in verse 30 and 30 through 32. If you're following, am I spending regular time resting in Jesus? Listen, the disciples just returned from doing some amazing things, but where does their power and strength and authority ultimately come from in order to do those things? It comes from Jesus, the source of all life. And he's teaching them this lesson. Unless you come back to me again and again and again, you'll be running on empty. You will have no authority to live the way of my life in your life today. In John 15, 5, he makes this abundantly clear. Would you read it out loud with me on your notes there? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do 
nothing. Do you believe that? Ah, no, we don't. We know we can do all kinds of stuff apart from Jesus. I can parent my kids apart from Jesus. I can be a pastor of a church apart from Jesus. I can earn a living apart from Jesus. But Jesus' point is there will be no fruit in that. There will be no joy in that. There will be no fulfillment in that. There will be no true success in trying to live life apart from abiding in me. We've been saying this repeatedly throughout this series. This is our series sentence, right? The whole point of why we're walking through the gospel of Mark is we want to spend time with Jesus, learning the way of Jesus so that we can then live the way of Jesus in our lives. And here, if you're following, is a plain truth. We can't learn the way of Jesus without being with Jesus. You can't do the same things Jesus did or live the same way Jesus did unless you're abiding in Jesus every single day. And so, of course, that leads to the question, well, how do I do that? That sounds kind of strange. It's pretty simple, actually. We just do the same practices that Jesus practiced in his own life. Practices like we saw in this text where he says to the disciples, come away with me so that you may find rest. Practices like prayer, studying the word of God, solitude, the way of Jesus always has this pattern. Listen, if it was important for Jesus, you think he just did that as show to say like, oh, you guys need this, but I really don't? I don't think so. I think he needed to go back to his father every single day to get rested and restored and renewed. How much more do we need that? Number one excuse though, I'm busy. Do you believe that Jesus was the busiest person who ever lived? He was. People constantly wanting his attention, needing his attention, and yet he saw this as so important, he set aside time every single day in order to rest in his father. It was not an option for him, and I'm just challenging you. It can't be an option for you either. If that's not your way, you're gonna end up being exhausted and frustrated and anxious and fruitless. So how's it going for you? Are you setting aside time every day to be with him? Sunday mornings are not enough, even though they're super important. I'm so encouraged every time I come here on Sunday. It's like a kick in my butt for the rest of the week, right? Like an encouraging kick in my butt. Is that, is that a thing? I don't know. But this is a prerequisite of being his disciple, okay? You're not gonna bear fruit if you don't do it. Second question I think this text asks us is, do I have compassion for others like Jesus does? I'd prefer to skip this one, but is this really my way? When Jesus sees the people, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And what is his immediate response? He's drawn to them. He wants to be with them and help them. He sets aside his own needs and his own wants in order to minister to others. Significantly, what I notice in this text as well is that Jesus meets people's spiritual needs and their physical needs. He teaches them the truth of the gospel, but then he actually provides food for them. And I just wanna say, this is still the model for the church today. Physical and spiritual needs, we talk about it here at Cherry Hills for so many years now, right? We want to show and tell the gospel. We want to do good works, care for the poor and the sick and the hurting. But we don't wanna forget The greatest thing we can do is to care for people's spiritual need as well. 
Let's break that down. Spiritual needs. Jesus understands. Do you understand that you are a sheep without a shepherd? Apart from the fact that the good shepherd came. Paul says it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're lost sheep. And the wages of that sin is death. But the good shepherd, he came. And he tells us he would lay down his life for the sheep so that they may now enter the gate and have eternal life. It's the opposite of the shepherds of Israel during this time. As Jesus says in John 10, 9 through 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Would you read that last part with me out loud? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Our good shepherd has taken care of our spiritual needs, but he also takes care of our physical needs and asks us to do the same. In Matthew 25, he tells us we're to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give rest to the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoners, and the mystery of that all is when you do those things, you're actually doing them for him. But how often am I like in those situations, like the disciples, right? Send them away, Lord, so they may provide for themselves, take care of themselves. Needy people are difficult to deal with. It's easier to write a check. But Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. I want you to have compassion for people in need And I want you to be involved in the lives of the people I've placed in your path, both spiritually, but also physically. We had a funeral in here on Friday afternoon for a young woman named Lindsay, only 30 years old. And the thing that was shared about Lindsay, some of you know her, Lindsay Holsapple, the thing that was shared about her over and over again is that no matter how busy she was, she would always set aside time in her life to minister to people who needed her. I want that to be said about me. And that's the way of Jesus. Compassion and empathy for people's spiritual and physical needs. And then the third thing this text asks us is do I see my impossible situations with Jesus' perspective? If this story is about anything, I hope you take it away. It's a story about perspective and how you see life and how I see life. I can either view my life through a lens of negativity and obstacles or through a lens of possibility and purpose. Have any of you ever ever seen those pictures where you can see two different things in them? It's all about your perspective, right? Here's Here's a few examples of these. What do you see there? How many of you see a duck? How many of you see a rabbit? Depends on your perspective. I know, some of you are like, I don't see a rabbit. What are you talking about, right? Okay, here's the second one. How many of you see a chalice? How many of you see two faces? Okay. Two faces is right in this particular case. <laughs> and then the last one here. How many of you see a frog? How many of you see a horse? It all depends on our perspective. And this is an illustration of your life. Your life depends on your perspective. All right, try to tell your neighbor what, why the horse is there. Go ahead. <laughs> Murmur, 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 murmur. I'll wait, because this is the most important part. 
every single day from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. You can view life through one of two perspectives, through a human perspective or through a divine perspective. The human perspective is where most of us live. And here's what that perspective is. This world revolves around me, my needs, my wants, my desires, what I think, what I feel, what I expect. This is how most of us live most of the time. But the divine perspective, if we woke up with this every morning, would be the opposite, right? It would be saying what Jesus wants, what Jesus expects, what Jesus sees, what Jesus wants in my life. And if I operate from that viewpoint, I will interpret every obstacle I face in life, every impossibility I face in life with a totally different perspective, even if it's impossible. God loves nothing more, we talked about this two weeks ago, than to take us, us weak disciples, just like the real disciples, and say, I want you to see this situation through my eyes instead of your eyes. Instead of impossibilities, I want you to see possibilities. Instead of saying, this is all I have, I lack what I need, saying, what do you have? What have I provided for you in this situation to do what only I can do? Paul talks about our lives this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Do you feel like a jar of clay today? I do. Like at any moment, I, I just don't know if I can keep going. I, this situation is impossible, and God is like, perfect, you're the person I want. So then I can display my power through you. If this text is about anything, it's about trusting Jesus in your impossible situations. Or if you're following, instead of seeing obstacles, let me just pause there. We can have internal obstacles and external obstacles, right? To what God may be calling us to. Could be things like fear, anxiety, hopelessness. Instead of seeing obstacles, Jesus wants us to see possibility. Instead of seeing lack, Jesus wants us to see provision. Instead of seeing problems, he wants us to see opportunity. A little can become a lot with Jesus. We just have to start seeing through his perspective and then put our lives, those clay jars, those five loaves of bread, those two fish into his hands and watch him work. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't be here. I'm a clay jar. I never wanted to stand in front of people in public and talk. It's my nightmare. I'm a clay jar. But what's impossible for me to see is possible for him. I'm not trying to make myself the hero here, trust me. But it was impossible for me not to follow him in that direction. So I'm just gonna ask you, what is it for you? What's impossible in your life right now? What might God be calling you to do? And you absolutely know you can't do it. You can't meet the demand. You can't solve the problem. You can't overcome whatever challenge he's placed in your path. It's, as our definition says, hopeless. From your ability to be able to resolve is it. What is it? Each of you have one right now, if you take the time. How are you viewing it is the more important question. Jesus saw the hunger of the multitude completely different from the 12. When they saw an impossible situation, Jesus saw a magnificent opportunity. 
And this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Chuck Swindoll. Have it up on the screen here. We face magnificent opportunities throughout our lives, each one brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. Your impossible situation may be something at home. You and your spouse may just be at an impossible stage of your relationship. I, I don't know. It may be something in your employment situation. It may be something with your children. It may be a financial situation. It may be a medical issue, a relational issue. It may be some sort of personal disaster that you're experiencing right now. It may be depression and anxiety. In any case, you're at your end. You're hopeless. You see no way to resolve it. So what can you do? Come away with me and rest. Believe that I have tender mercy and empathy with you in this situation. I am not far from you, I am with you. And then, put your meager five loaves of bread and your two small fish into my hands by faith. Do what I ask you to do, that part of obedience is important. And then wait and trust that all things are possible through me. So as we close, I'm gonna just ask you, we'll give you some time to do this in prayer. Will I place my impossible situation into Jesus' hands? This is easier said than done. Because I like to control. I like to fix. Any fixers? But from our limited hu human viewpoint, right now I want you to see the magnificent opportunity that God may have for you. You have to accept this fact if you are his disciple. Nothing is impossible in his hands. And this is his chance to come through for you right now. Let's pray. Lord, I would venture to guess there's not one of us in this room right now who don't have some sort of impossible situation we are facing. So I just pause now. We name that before you. We declare that I can't see from my perspective a way out. But I believe in faith as if I put these five loaves and two fish into your hands, this impossibility into your hands. This could be an opportunity, not an impossibility. Jesus, we thank you that you are compassionate. Without that, none of this would really matter. But we know that you have mercy for us and that you empathize with us. And because of that, we can trust you with this situation. We can trust that nothing is impossible for you.
So by faith and in obedience, we take our situations and look for any magnificent opportunity you might have for us. Give us truly the eyes to see the way you see. It's in Jesus' name, everybody agreed and said. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.